Well, hello, church. It is so good to be here, and it's so good to be able to bring the Word of God today. Before I bring the Word of God, I want to bring a smile to your face, and I want to make you laugh. So I got some jokes for you. Yeah, I got a couple of cheers. That's all I need. Why would monks be so good at being Jedis? The greater the ohms, the more... The more the ohms, the greater the resistance. That's an electrician's joke if you didn't get that one. I was watching an Australian cooking show and the audience clapped when the chef made meringue. I was surprised because Australians normally boomerang. I didn't realize I was supposed to know how to do everything by my second rodeo. That's still a very low number of rodeos. None of you guys not get that? It's not my first rodeo, right? So, second rodeo. Come on. Wake up, guys. Okay. Well, that was a really good uh, five-minute focus by Pastor Janine, and actually it applies to our message today. God knows what He's doing. He's fitting all things together, even though Janine and I didn't plan that. Well, I saw a couple things in, in Scripture in my personal Bible reading time that I want to talk to you about God challenged me in, and I'd love to share that with you today. Charlotte is of the age where she has strong opinions of what she, what she wants and how she wants it, and she tries her best to communicate what, what it is that's on her heart and on her mind. But given that she's not even three years old, she doesn't know how to say it clearly, and so I'm left guessing half the time what it is that she wants, and sometimes Kristen hears and understands, sometimes I hear and I get it, and sometimes Noah Lucy help, but other times we all just are at a loss. We just don't know what she's saying. We can do this in life as well. We can be without answers and not knowing what to do, and we can fill in the blanks. We can jump to conclusions. We can connect the dots as best we can, and sometimes we don't do it the right way. Sometimes we do that with the Word of God. Sometimes we don't understand things, but we have this plot point and this plot point and just draw a straight line towards them, right? And in life, we think, okay, this is where I am and this is where I want to be. I'll just, I'll just do that, right? I'll just go right there. And that's not normally how life goes. If that is how life goes with you, I would like to learn from you. So please email me, and I'd love to figure out that straight line. But normally, we're in these lines or these lines where we're not too sure what, how to get to that next point. This is why we need to be students of the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God in its entirety. We need to study it. We need to live it. We need to be it. And so we have a better understanding of each of those plot points. We can fill in the blanks a lot better. And so we're going to pray as we get into the Word of God today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it is good. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Thank you, Lord God, that you have given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that as we're trying to fill in those blanks in our life, as we're trying to connect the dots, Lord, as we're trying to understand what's happening, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, you would lead us, Lord, and that we would, 
we would be obedient, Lord, that we would understand what it is that you're saying, Lord, and that we would be led by you. In Jesus' name, amen. A very famous um, example of a biblical misunderstanding is the movie Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, it's an entertaining movie, yes, but it's inaccurate. Uh, Do you remember the scene where the Nazis have the ark, they open it up, they look inside it, and they start to say how beautiful it is, and how happy they are, and how great it is that they have the ark. And then, some spirits start coming out of the ark and flying around, and then a bolt of fire comes out of the ark and hits some Nazis. It forks out, hits most of the Nazis that are on the ground, and then the three Nazis that are left up by the ark start melting into a literal pile of themselves. Now, that has never happened in the Bible, okay? Okay, no fire bolts came out of the ark, okay? That didn't happen, all right? And the strange thing is that Indiana Jones is yelling this whole time to Mary, who's tied up with him, right beside him, don't look at it! Don't look at it! As if to say that if they looked at the ark, that they would also die. But no one in the Bible dies for looking at the ark. No one in the Bible melts into a puddle of themselves for looking inside the ark. Okay? That, that's a Hollywoodism. So you may have guessed it, today we're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that contained the presence of God. God had the Israelites build this chest or this Ark so that it would contain His presence, but also it would also house some sacred items, uh, the the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, and uh, then, then it would be used to just carry the presence of God around. Okay? It was covered in gold, it had figures of angels on it, and it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to look at. The Israelites loved it. They loved having God with them. They loved having the ark. Okay? A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Not only did the ark have the Israelites' attention, but it also had the attention of their enemies, the Philistines. See, the Israelites would bring the ark along with them to battle. And so the Philistines got used to seeing the ark and then being defeated by the Israelites. And so they decided, I'm going to steal this ark. We are going to take this thing. This thing must be powerful, and so we must have it. And so, ironically enough, the Israelites brought the ark to a battle where they were defeated by the Philistines. And the Philistines then took the ark back home with them. See, the Israelites were not obeying the Lord. They were not being obedient to Him, and so His hand of blessing was not on them at this time. Okay, so the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. They took it home, and they thought, life is going to be peachy. It's going to be great. Life is going to be perfect. The more gods we can have on our side, the better. So they put the Ark in with their uh, idol that they had, Dagon, in in Dagon's temple. They put it in there, and they, they left, came back the next morning, and they saw, oh no, the idol Dagon had fallen down and was worshiping the ark, was worshiping God. 
Well, that's not ideal for them. So they picked Dagon back up, put the idol back up on its pedestal. They went back out, came back in the next morning. They saw that Dagon again was on his face worshiping God. But this time, the hands and the feet of the idol were broken off. And so they should have realized at this point, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be messing with this ark. Maybe we shouldn't be messing with this God. This God is clearly powerful, clearly way more powerful than Dagon, who was a, a chunk of wood. Life with the ark wasn't as pleasant as they thought it was going to be. Everywhere they moved the ark also came rats and tumors. Rats and tumors. Everywhere the ark went in the Philistine territories, rats and tumors followed. They didn't like that. They didn't want that. But they still kept it around for seven whole months. They needed this to stop. And so the Philistine leaders, they, they had a meeting. They said, okay, we've got to get rid of this thing. It's causing us nothing but grief. Maybe, maybe we can give five, five golden tumors and five golden rats. And I don't know what the, happened to these after, but let's, let's, let's put them in a chest. Let's put them on a cart. And let's put the ark right up there beside that chest. And let's, let's hook that cart up to two cows that have never been yoked before. So unyoked cows, they don't know what to do once they're yoked. They're going to be stubborn and obstinate. But let's hook them up and then for sure, if God takes that ark back to be with the Israelites, then it was definitely God's hand on us and we can get rid of these rats and tumors once and for all. Okay, so that's what they did. Okay, and in 1 Samuel 6, 12, that's where we take up our story where it says, Then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the left or to the right. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And they looked up and saw the ark. They rejoiced at the sight. They rejoiced because a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. The ark was a familiar sight to all of Israel, and all of Israel was upset that they lost the ark, that the Philistines had it. And so they were so happy to finally see the ark back in Israelite hands. And so the people of Beth Shemesh, they rejoiced, they took the ark, and some people, some of the people in Beth Shemesh opened up the ark, they looked inside the ark, and they melted into puddles. No, they didn't. I'm just testing you. They didn't melt into puddles. They died, though. They did. It's not laughing, but uh, they did die because you're not supposed to look into the ark unless God has directed you to. And so they looked inside the ark. They weren't supposed to, and so they did die. And so they, they were cunning. They thought, Ugh, we don't want to have this kind of a power in our hands and be responsible for this because we keep dying. So maybe we should, I know what we'll do. We'll talk to our neighbors. So they talked to their neighbors in Kiriath-Jerim, and they said, Hey, we have the ark. You should come and get it. So in 1 Samuel 7, 12, it says, So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill, 
and consecrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. The ark sat there for 20 years. 20 years. That is a long time. Long time. And it was David, once he was king, that he decided, I'm going to go get the ark. It needs to be here in Jerusalem. So he, he devised this plan. He thought, I'm going to go get it. I got a plan. Let's go. So he conferred with each of his officers. This is First Chronicles 13, 1 through 10. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shihor River in Egypt, which is the furthest south, to the Libo Hamath, which is the northernmost part of Israel, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Bela of Judah, which is Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by his name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart, brand new, with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets, when they came to the threshing floor of Kedon. Uzzah, reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Well, this is a bit of an odd situation, isn't it? For a number of reasons. Well, first David was trying to bring the ark back, and he wanted the ark in Jerusalem, and I... I'm sure he would have picked the best of the best brand new carts. He didn't just grab the one old cart behind an old shed somewhere and decide, ah, this will do. He grabbed a brand new cart, probably the best he could find. He grabbed some oxen, probably really trained oxen, not like those cows, but oxen that have been hooked to a yoke before, oxen that knew what they were doing. And then he took some good ox handlers to make sure to get that ark to Jerusalem in a safe way. He didn't approach it lightly, but he still failed to recognize a couple very important things. Number one, God is holy. God is holy. Number two, he didn't look back into the scriptures to see how it was instructed for the ark to be moved. He didn't consult God at all on that. If God had conferred, or sorry, if David had conferred with the Levites, he would have known from the Levites telling him 
No, no, no. Listen, we got special poles for the ark. We got to carry it. It can't go on a cart. So we'll walk it from Kiriath Jerem. We'll walk those 10 miles from Kiriath Jerem to Jerusalem. You can't put that on a cart. God won't allow it. If he did talk to them, uh, maybe they just, it had been so long since they'd actually carried the ark, over 20 years. So they maybe, maybe they forgot. Maybe they weren't in the scriptures. But my guess is that, because the, the Levites were teachers of the law, they would have known. They wouldn't have forgotten. And so I don't think David asked them. I don't think he consulted with them. He made a plan as it appeared good to him. So then we have Uzzah, who appears to have really, really good motives. You know, I don't want the ark of God to get destroyed. I'm going to steady it. And, and I'm going to make sure it doesn't fall to the ground. And who knows, maybe it would have broken into 100 pieces. I don't know. But we have Uzzah, who likely had good motives, steadying the ark, making sure it isn't going to fall. And he still falls dead. Now that, that kind of put a halt to David's plans. Well, someone died. Uh, that wasn't in the plans, so now what do I do? We read up in 1 Chronicles 13, 13 and 14. He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Now, this is the first time we hear anything about Obed-Edom. But he is blessed richly. He gets the ark of the covenant, the presence of God in his house, and it blesses everything that he has. He is blessed so richly. His whole household, a single day in your courts, is better than a thousand anywhere else. David saw what he did was wrong, and he wanted to transport the ark correctly. So he did some research. He did his homework. Finally, he consulted with the Lord. What do I do? Let me read the Bible. Let me read the scriptures. And so he rallied, rallied the team again. He rallied the troops, and he rallied all of Israel to take the ark from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. And he finally had the Levites carry it as they were supposed to. Here's something interesting, though. I noticed that, that in the, the process, once, once the ark left uh, its place where it had been for 20 years, we don't read again about Abinadab. It was in his house for 20 years. We don't read again about Abinadab. We don't read again about Eleazar, who was Abinadab's son and was placed in charge to oversee the ark for the 20 years that it was there. there. There is nothing on them again. We don't know if they're dead. We don't know if they're just not coming. They're refusing to, to participate in it, leaving their house. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know anything because they're not mentioned a single time again. We don't even know if their house was blessed like it was at Obed-Edom's house. Obed-Edom's whole household was blessed doesn't say anything about Abinadab's house being blessed. And he was there for 20 years, a much longer time than three months. Let's move now to Uzzah, okay? Who is Uzzah? 
Where does he come from? Where is he in this story? We don't know who he is because in Chronicles, it doesn't say who he is. But it says who he is in 2 Samuel 6, 3. Uzzah was Abinadab's son. So he would have been around the ark. He would have been around the ark. I don't know if he was 20 years old or younger, but he would have been around the ark for a large portion of his life. Maybe the entire 20 years. Maybe he was just so familiar with the ark, right? Okay? Because his brother Eleazar was in charge of, of watching it, of looking after it. He was in charge of overseeing the ark. Uzzah would have seen it. He'd have been around it, definitely. My thoughts are that he actually got too familiar with the ark. My thoughts are that he had been around the ark so much and in possibly cavalier ways that he wasn't remembering that this is not just a fancy box. This is the presence of God Almighty. And, and God is holy. And I need to take care of this thing. I can't just carelessly touch it. I can't, I, I can't just enter the presence of God Woe is me, for I am an unclean man. See, I don't think that, that Uzzah and Eleazar were using it to hang their laundry to dry. I don't think that they were that cavalier. But I do think that familiarity can breed contempt. They were just familiar with this object. And that's what it came, became to them, was just an object. It wasn't a place for God to reside. It was a fancy box. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. You know, we can be like Uzzah. We can be around the presence of God. We can be in a worship service, and we can be on our phones trying to figure out what to order for lunch after we leave. Or we can be in the Word of God and be interrupted by a phone call, and never get back to the Word of God. We can be in the middle of a worship song and think, oh, maybe I should text that so-and-so, pull out our phones, and text them, and just say, hey, I was thinking about you. Hope you're doing okay. You want to grab a coffee later? You know, we can be around the presence of God without it making serious changes in our lives. We can be like Uzzah. We can be in the presence of God for years and years and years without learning anything or without letting God change anything in our lives. We can be like Uzzah and David and not seek out what the Word of God says for our situations. Only seeking the advice of our friends or of, or of the internet and the price may be worth more than we are able to. Or willing to pay for not being students of God's Word. I'd like to close by reading a psalm. It'll be on the screen, and so if you want to just close your eyes and just listen to the Word of God and let, let God speak to you through it, or if you want to read along with me if you're at home, I'm going to be reading Psalm chapter 84 in the New Living Translation. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies! 
I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob. O God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. May we not be like Uzzah, who was too familiar with the presence of God, but not familiar enough with the holiness of God. May we not be like Uzzah, who was familiar with being around God, but lacked the knowledge of how to interact with God. May we learn from David's mistake and not just consult our friends and Facebook and ask our updated status, hey, what should I do in this situation? But may we seek the Word of God. May we search it out to find out what the Lord is saying for each of our situations. The presence of God isn't contained in that ark anymore. When Jesus rose again from the dead, that veil was torn in two, and God was sent forth from that place. He is here now with us. Maybe, may we be in His presence, yes, but may His presence make a difference in our lives, as it did for Obed-Edom, not so that we can prosper, but so that we can be changed. And because a day in His courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. That is true. My prayer is that we believe it and that we live it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence, for your word, and that you are leading us. You have led us preemptively through your word. And Lord, that any time we need you, any time we are curious about what it is that you're doing in our life, 
as Janine was mentioning the different portions of our life that don't make sense until it all comes together. Lord, when we're in that place where we don't know what's going on, may we seek you. May we not be like David who just rallies with his peers to find out, hey, what do you think is the best thing to do? Lord, may we seek your face. May we search your word for different ways that you've already answered us. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken and that you are speaking. You've spoken through your word and that you are speaking to each and every one of us. And so, Lord, for whatever situation that we're in, I, just, I feel right now there are people that are, that as I was reading in Psalm 84, as I was reading about the valley of weeping, that if that's you today, God wants to encourage you. Because just as it says, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. And so I I just want to speak that over you. If you feel like you're in the valley of weeping, the valley of sadness, the valley of despair, God wants to turn, turn that into a place of refreshing springs. Okay? So I want you to seek the Lord about, about that. He wants to do that in your life. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. Thank you, Lord, for those promises in Scripture. Thank you, Lord God. You don't leave us high and dry, but Lord, you have spoken to us. You are speaking to us. You are eager to speak to us and to be with us, Lord You are so eager that you broke forth from the Holy of Holies to be with all of us at all times. We thank you for your presence, and may it not become too familiar to us. But Lord, may we cherish your presence. May we cherish your word. And may we seek out your presence in your word at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then it is a simple process for you to become one of His disciples. A, it's admit that you are not perfect. Not one of us is. Admit that you are a sinner. B, is to believe that He is that perfect sacrifice for us. Believe that He is Lord and Savior from the work of His life here on earth and His work on the cross and resurrection. And then C is choose to follow Him today and every day. We're going to say a simple prayer where you can start on your journey with Jesus right now. Let's pray. And if you want to do that, just repeat after me. Jesus, I thank You that you are the perfect sacrifice, that you paid the price that I could not pay. And so right now, I want to acknowledge your work on the cross, and I believe that you are the perfect Savior, the perfect sacrifice. And I want to give you my life and for you to come into my life as Lord of my life. Here is my life Thank you for your life. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. If you decided to follow Jesus today, then it says in the Bible that angels are rejoicing in heaven. And I would love to rejoice with you. And so please email me, amen at livinghope-ca.org. And I'd love to follow up with you and to give you some resources on your journey with Jesus. We're, we're done the sermon for today. And I just want to thank you so much for, for tuning in, for coming in, for those that don't have the internet and, and for our volunteers. And I just want to encourage you to not just seek your friends like David did and, and to, to make a costly mistake. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord. I want to encourage you to seek out what it says in the Word of God. And I want to see you turn those valleys of weeping into times of refreshing. Thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful day. And as always, we would love to pray with you. And so if you have any prayer requests, any prayer needs, and you're tuning in online right now, then you can just message us on Facebook Messenger to the church, and there's some wonderful volunteers that would love to pray with you to see God move in your life and to see answered prayer happen. If you're in-house, then come on up, and we'd love to pray with you. Have yourself a wonderful week, and God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this morning at Living Hope Community Church. If you love what we're doing and you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can go to livinghope-ca.org backslash give and choose a giving option that works best for you. Or if God did something in your life and you want to, we want to know about it. So if you can send us a quick email at amen at livinghope-ca.org. Again, thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great week.